0: Well, Happy New Year, can I tell you how happy I am that you are starting your New Year off with us? Maybe today you have plans to eat collard greens and black-eyed peas later. Is that just a Southern thing? Because here in North Carolina, our family has a New Year's tradition where we eat pork and collards and black-eyed peas. Supposedly, it symbolizes good things for the New Year. I think collards represent prosperity and peas represent good luck, but mostly, We just like them and we're celebrating a new year together as a family. Whatever you feed your soul is way more important than what you feed your body. And so no matter what you plan to eat today, you are ahead of the game because you're feeding your soul. It's so important to pause and to look back and that is what today is all about. One of the primary ways that God speaks to me is through the messages of this house. Every single week, God uses our pastor to bring the exact word we need to hear. How does he do this? His messages penetrate whether you have been a believer for five minutes or 50 years. Every age, every stage of life, there is a word for every single one of us. I wonder which messages spoke to you the most this year. Maybe one that came at the perfect time. Maybe it hit at a moment when you were doubting or anxious and the sermon was exactly what you needed to hear. I love how God works. I wish we could just sit down together and talk about it. In fact, let me know in the chat which messages this year have resonated the most with you. Today, I invited some of the people in our church to share about some of their favorite sermons from 2022. We'll be diving into our notes, sharing our stories, and then looking back at portions of these sermons. My hope is that these excerpts remind you of what God spoke to you and what God did in your life last year. I want us to go into 2023 believing that the same God that was with us last year will be with us again this year. Of course he will. That's why we're calling today New Year Same God. We've been singing that song, Same God, over and over this last year, and it has been such an anthem for our church, that the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, of Mary, of David, the God of your grandma is the same God of you and I, and that is who we worship today. He is faithful to see us through whatever is ahead. And the best way to stir up our faith for what's ahead is to look back at his past faithfulness. So I'm gonna go first. I have to go first. I can't let others share about how the messages preached by our pastor, my husband, ministered to them without getting to share how they have ministered to me. And I'm pretty sure everyone who follows me and shares about their favorite sermon is gonna say some version of, it was so hard to pick just one, because it is. Sometimes I cannot believe the amazing feast that Stephen Furtick lays before us each and every week. If you can sit under a sermon by Stephen Furtick and say that God did not speak to you, you have a listening problem. (laughs) Anyway, okay, it's so hard to pick just one, but back in the spring, Stephen preached a little mini-series, three sermons on the book of Ruth. They were called, It Will Come Together, The One Who Seeks Finds, and Blown Away. I felt like these three weeks, I was like trying to get a drink of water from a fire hydrant. Stephen was dropping wisdom faster than I could write it down. And God was speaking to my heart. So now that I've narrowed it down to three sermons, I'm gonna tell you the one that I wanna talk about. Not necessarily my favorite of 2022. Stephen's sermons are like my children. They're all my favorite. But this one, this one really got me. It was a sermon called, it will come together. Now in this sermon, Stephen laid the foundation by talking about Ruth and the tragedy that she had experienced in her life. She lost her husband and she lost everything that she held dear in her life. It probably felt to her like her life was over, but as we read through the book of Ruth in reality, we realized that her life was barely getting started on the basis of all that God was going to do for her and through her. Stephen told us that we don't taste life as a meal. We experience the ingredients as they come, and the problem with this is that the ingredients themselves can often taste bad in isolation. This really hit home with me because I love cook, and I understand that there are essential ingredients to almost every recipe that tastes bad in isolation, like salt and oil and flour. If you only taste those things, you would spit them out, but put them together, add in a little bit of baking powder and some eggs, and you're on your way to a cake. (laughs) In my life, so often I experience disappointment or frustration when something that I asked God for doesn't go the way I thought it would. I asked God for this relationship, but it feels like we're fighting all the time. I asked God for this child, but now I feel like I don't have what it takes to raise them. I asked God for this new job, but now I feel lonely. And when I start to feel these feelings, my tendency can be to think that God is angry with me, or that maybe I did something wrong, or maybe I wasn't meant to have these things to begin with, and I got it all wrong. And the thing that stuck with me from this sermon is when he said, let God mix it. He told us that our prayer should be, God, I want your will and I want whatever comes with it. Those ingredients that taste bad to me in isolation are actually building something good in my life. That relationship that feels tense is teaching me humility and the art of putting others before myself. That job that challenges me is teaching me to depend on God in ways that I never would otherwise. That loneliness is causing me to lean into my relationship with God and then also to invest wisely in the relationships around me. Stephen said, Just because it tastes bad in isolation doesn't mean it won't serve a purpose in the finished product. The good things often come with frustration and disappointment and difficulty. That's normal. That's okay. And he reminded us in this sermon, if it's not good, then God is not done. And that mantra will get you through. All right, I've said enough. Now I want you to check out this clip so you can see what I'm talking about.
1: Whoever walked in the kitchen and um, uh, just use an example I'm not a cook Take a scoop of baking powder and just down it. Ah! Did you ever do it? So baking powder is bad. Anybody want a big heaping pile of baking powder for lunch today? Raise your hand. Why are you messing up my illustration, bro? Now, this is the message. You want the whole message in a moment? This is the this is whole message. This is a whole message. This is why you came from Michigan, so God could tell you. This is why you tuned in online. Just because it tastes bad in isolation doesn't mean it won't serve a purpose in the finished product. I'm not saying that. The Bible said that after Naomi had gone so low that she said, "This doesn't taste good. This doesn't taste good." And honestly, I figured out why people in church often look so sour when they're in church. Because what you went through this week didn't taste good, and you are trying to praise God with a taste in your mouth. Of disappointment and fear. Am I preaching yet? I mean, it's hard to say hallelujah when your mouth tastes like hurt. Woo! Call me bitter. You might as well. You might as well. You might as well. And taste good. And yet, what a strange blessing that they gave. Let me give you a little bit more background so I can make sure I'm not confusing. Graham's my Graham's my guy, you know, he he told me the other day, he was like, Dad, sometimes you gotta slow down with these scriptures. You've been looking at them all week, and we're just waking up. You gotta slow down and break it down. <laughs> so even though I can't do it justice. The book of Ruth is beautiful, and you could read it in the time that you could watch half an episode of Ozark. (laughs) And when we move through it, we see Naomi, Elimelech, uh, Kilion, and Malon. Melon's Ruth's husband, Orpah, is married to Kilion. And both of those baby names are available, by the way, if you want to have an original (laughs) name for your kid. But when they went to Moab, they they went to a place that they didn't, this is important, plan to go. This message is for somebody who is in a place you didn't plan to go. And I'm going to take it further. Sometimes it's a place you hate being there because they're from Bethlehem. And they're in Moab. Kind of like when they went to Egypt. I mentioned it earlier. When the Israelites went to Egypt, they didn't go to Egypt because it was it was their dream to go to Egypt. It wasn't on their bucket list to go to Egypt. They went to Egypt to survive. And we've talked about that a lot because I think a lot of the sin cycles we get sucked into in our life are out of survival mechanisms. And if we don't deal with it that way, we just put so much shame on it, we can't help anybody get healed. Because people won't come to Jesus because you don't understand the power of his covenant with you. You think Jesus is like other people, and that there will come a point where he'll be ashamed of you, and he'll go, oh, well, that's, that's, that's too far there. I was going to use you, but really? You did that? You don't understand the power of a covenant. But, but Ruth did, because when Naomi said, leave me, I've lost my husbands. I've lost my boys. I've heard there's bread in Bethlehem. We've been here 10 years. Naomi said, I'm not leaving. Make a covenant with you. Whither thou goest, I go. Your God become my God. And, and, and your God will often become the, the same God as your friends. If you are around people who worship status and stuff, it won't be long till you're shackled to the same things they are. But now touch, touch somebody next to you and say, you ought to hang out with me a little while. You hang out with me, you're gonna have strong faith. You hang out with me. Come on, Deaf Leopard. If you hang out with me. <laughs> so, so they go back together. And and Naomi, in this, this honest moment, she says, Call me bitter. I still got the taste in my mouth. I'm going back to Bethlehem, which means house of bread, which makes it that much more depressing when there's a famine in Bethlehem, when there's a famine in the place that is named after bread, when the joy of the Lord is supposed to be your strength, and you are a Christian, and you're depressed, and you are a Christian, and you can't sleep, and you are a Christian, and you have addictions and you are a crit. I am a C, I am a C H, I am a C H R I S T I A N, but I got an A D D, A D H D, A D D I C T I O. I'm in the house of bread, but I'm hungry. Call me Mara, she said. Ruth said. I was with you when I wanted your Son. Now you don't have a Son to give me, but I'm still with you." I wonder who the Lord is saying that to. I'm still with you. I don't, I don't sell low and buy high. God is not Warren Buffett. God doesn't trade like that. God said, I'm still with you, because I made a covenant with you. It's not the kind of covenant I made with Noah. That was limited. It's not the kind of covenant I made with Abraham. That was limited. It's not the covenant I made with Moses. That was limited. It's not the covenant I made with David. That was limited. This is the covenant of my blood made with the life of my son. And I am with you.
2: What's up y'all, I'm Elijah Furtick. I'm Pastor Stephen's oldest son. Now, obviously my dad is a goat of preaching. So I had to share one of my takeaways from one of his sermons with y'all. The sermon that I'm gonna be talking about is a recent one. It's called I'm Not Dead Yet, and I actually have some insider information on the making behind it. A couple of months ago, me and my girlfriend started reading through the Bible, one chapter at a time. It felt like something that God was calling me to do because I wanted to get the full context of the Bible and everything that God wanted us to know. We told my dad what we were doing, and he said how much he loved it. A couple of weeks later, he asked us what chapter we were on so he could read it with us, and he sent us an application from the chapter. That turned into a group chat called the Read the Bible in Four Years Club, because if we read one chapter every day, that's about how long it would take us. We started sending a key verse application that we took away from each chapter, and obviously my dads were always the best. When we came to the book of Leviticus, we started to struggle to find an application for every chapter because the chapters get so repetitive and specific. But somehow my dad would always find a fire application. Leviticus is tough because it's a lot of lists of rules and regulations for the ancient Israelites, but we still did our best to figure out what we could learn about God from reading it. Now, when I look at all the implications that my dad had sent in the group chat, one particular one stands out. Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11 is a pretty boring chapter at first glance. It's all about the kosher laws and certain animals that people can't eat. I can actually show you guys the text, but he told us a couple of great points. Let me pull it out real quick. All right, here it is. Got it prepared, but yeah, you know, big old, big old long text. So, what's crazy is a lot of this actually ended up making it into his sermon. One of the things that he talked about in the text was how important it is to ask yourself, do I listen when God tells me something that's polluting my heart or do I only see it in others? Flank and speck type deal, you know? He talked about verse 37, which says, if a carcass falls on any seeds that are to be planted, they remain clean. He used this to tell us about the idea of the seed will survive. Sometimes a dead thing falls in the seed of what God is trying to do, but the seed survives. The devil tried to kill the seed of your potential, but the seed is still clean. You think it's dead, but it's just dormant. He even connected it to how Herod tried to kill Jesus, but the seed survived. I already knew that had potential, but I had no idea that he would turn it into a whole sermon. He was able to take the potential of what he told us and polish it up a little bit. In the end, he used the example of the weasel, which the people were not allowed to eat, which was specified in the chapter. He showed an image of a weasel that was eating some eggs before they had a chance to be born. He used it to show how you can't let the devil pollute the seed of something that God is doing in your life. Another one of my favorite points he made was when he said, if you have confidence in God's promise, but not commitment to his process, that's not faith, that's just denial. That really hit me because in my life a lot of times, I don't struggle with my confidence in God as much as my confidence in myself. However, when I doubt myself, that is kind of me doubting the process and doubting that God has put me where I need to be to impact people for his good. And at the end of the day, I can know that the seed of God's potential lives in me. It was so powerful for me to hear how he was able to take a seemingly boring chapter about kosher laws and show us how it applies to us in modern day life. If we're not careful, we can make the Bible too much about ourselves and forget the framing of the story we're reading. However, if we read the Bible in a way that treats us like an ancient text with no application to our current day lives, then we might as well read Harry Potter. That's why I felt like this was such a legendary sermon. He was able to give us the full background, context, and meaning of the text, but also try to help us figure out what the chapter is trying to tell us about the nature of God and how we can use that information to become closer to God. Let me show y'all this clip real quick so y'all can hear the sermon for yourself.
1: Look at that weasel. Look that sneaky. That guy is a serial killer. I, I looked him up. He could get in a small place. And then, oh, he, look at it, he's got those eggs. Look what he's trying to do to those eggs. Look what he's trying to do to that thing that hasn't been born yet. Look at that weasel. Y'all are not board with Leviticus now, are you? Because You do need to know how to deal with the weasel, don't you? You do need to learn how to deal with the weasel, because you got a weasel called worry, that while God is speaking his word to you… Say amen in Portuguese when it gets through on this interpretation, because I need to hear an amen. I need to hear an amen. That weasel, that weasel, that weasel… No, he's not just leaving you alone. He's trying to steal what God spoke. Now I know you think I'm out of context. It's not talking about that kind of weasel. It's talking about everything in your life to try to distinguish. Like The Enemy will plant a seed in your mind, right? He'll say, "Okay, well, this is this is gonna go wrong." And have you thought about this? And did you hear what they said about that? And it's a recession, 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 a recession. You haven't thought about resurrection in about three months, because all you've been reading about is recession. So now that weasel got right in there in your space, your little space where God does great things, and he eats through the potential of what God speaks. So. What do you do with the weasel? God said, Don't eat it. What do you do with the weasel? God said, Put it off limits. What do you do with those little thoughts that come up a million miles an hour? And you know, that's a good question to be asking. The enemy will weasel his way into your marriage, he'll weasel his way into your business. Gets you to start cutting corners and stuff like that. Yeah, I know how he works. I'm a I'm a weasel expert. Weasel try to keep you from worshiping God. A weasel. The Lord said, I'm gonna list a lot of things that will multiply rapidly in your life. Small things, moving things, saras. And I'm gonna show you what to do with them so I can keep doing big things." God still has big things for me. I felt chills on my body when I said it. God still has big things for me, things that are bigger than my intellect, things that are bigger than my imagination, exceedingly, abundantly, above all I ask or imagine. The seed of God's potential lives inside of me. I say it again for the people who who really believe what the word of God says. The seed of God's potential lives in me. I mean, think about it. Here are people in Leviticus who have been through Egypt, have been through the Red Sea, who started with a man named Abraham. All out of one man came millions of people because God said, "I will bless you and multiply you." And Abram was waiting. We preached about him for 2 weeks a while back. We preached about about him for two weeks how he was 99 and God gave him the promise when he was 100 and I preached on keep it 100 but can I keep it 100 with you Abraham said my wife's womb is as good as dead and so is my body and my body is as good as dead because I'm 99 but then something got inside of Abraham and kicked inside of Abraham because see the seed that was inside of him was greater than the limitation that was on him so something got inside of Abraham And he looked in the mirror, but then he looked at the stars. And he talked to himself and his situation, but then he talked to God. And God reminded him of the promise. And Abram said, I'm old but I'm not dead yet. I think he said it with no teeth. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not dead yet. It's not over yet. I'm not dead. God's not done. If I'm not dead, God's not done. Greater things are still to come. Do you believe it?
3: Wow, that was an amazing sermon. If you hadn't gone back and watched it, if you didn't know, it's on YouTube. Matter of fact, all of the messages from Pastor Stephen, you can find on YouTube, and so go back, watch them. I don't know about you, but every single Sunday, I actually watch the message two times. I watch two times. The first time, I watch it for myself. As a husband, as a father, just as a man, I need to be able to take some time to see what does God want to speak to my life? But not only that, not only that, I watch it the second time because I'm trying to figure out how am I going to reteach it? How am I going to re-preach it? And after Pastor preached this sermon called Bent Knees Breaks Chains, I went back and I began to read over and over and over again throughout the story of Joseph, and God just really ministered to my soul. I love how Pastor just gives us a fresh take on so many stories that maybe you've read over and over and over again. But in this message, it reminded us that life happens. Sometimes we go through things that are difficult. We have loved ones in our lives that are struggling, that are hurting, that are maybe maybe sitting in a hospital bed. And in those moments, sometimes you feel helpless. Sometimes I just get paralyzed because I feel like there's nothing that I can do. What I love about this message, bent Knees Breaks Chains, it reminds me that yes, God is in control, but I'm responsible for my posture. And Pastor, in this message, he gets right on his knees and he demonstrates that it's bent knees that breaks chains. Now, I will either stay chained to the event or I'll make a decision to fix my posture. When Pastor said that, it really spoke to me because it lets me lets me know that that, that I can do something. I can focus, I can worship, I can lean into the presence of God. I can get some people around me to support me and encourage me. And then God will do what only He can do. So here's one of my favorite moments from this message: knees, breaks chains.
1: And Joseph has a decision to make.
3: And he does it like this:
1: I'm not God. And in the moment of decision, he takes a posture as the second most powerful man in the land. He takes his posture. To say, God has been, I wonder what it would look like for you to have this mentality. To say, God put me here for a purpose, and I'm submitting everything that's happened to me to God. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself in a position on my knees before God. I never come to preach to you if I can help it that I don't do this even if it's for 10 seconds before I round the corner because a lot of times the, the way that I'll preach stuff will be, just be coming to me to the last minute and I'm literally like rah, 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 rah. but I try I try every time to take 1 minute by myself and say God when I get out there today and there's there's people out there whose parents abandoned them, there's people out there who were molested, there's people out there who are going through the most scary medical situation in their life or their kids are. There's people out there who have no idea how they're going to catch up on 4 months worth of mortgage. There are people out there today who need you. And I can only meet that need on my knees. And it reminds me That if I do this, I can do this. Because, see, the power that you need is not in me. But if I go to the one who has all power and all authority, and I get down low and I say, God, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you. I know bent knees can break chains. I know one word from Almighty God, one breath from the Spirit of I feel chains breaking right now. I feel burdens lifting right now. I feel shackles shaking on prison floors and prison doors flying open right now. Because when you do this, God does that. Wait, wait. What you did to me was bad. What happened to me is bad. What I'm going through is bad, but if I blame you, then my blame will become bitterness, and my bitterness will become bondage. Not your bondage. It will be my bondage. So I either get to stay chained to the events or I get to make a decision. This is where God brought you to. This is why you logged on. This is why they sent you the link. This is why you came to church. You thought you decided to come to church? You're crazy. God sovereignly brought you to church. You had ten excuses not to come. What didn't fit? And I have nothing to wear, but here you are. It's a size too small, but you came. Why? For this moment. God wanted you to know you are in an important moment of your life. And if you do this, come on, every athlete knows you can't hit a golf ball good if you don't bend your knees. That's where your power comes from. You can't shoot a basketball right if you don't bend your knees. That's where your accuracy comes from. You can't do a takedown standing up straight. There's no division 1 wrestling champions that stand up straight talking about uh, 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 uh. Why are you fighting your battles like this when God gave you this This is how I fight my battle devil Watch me surrender to God Cuz bent knees breaks you can't do it in your own strength If you could you would have by now but God brought you to your knees because he's breaking some generational chains. I feel the Holy Ghost. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Break those chains. Break it, break it. 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 The past has no power over you. The blood of Jesus speaks up better. I break it in the name of Jesus.
4: Okay, bent knees, breaks, chains. You got to listen to chat there. Go and catch that message because just a clip like that, it's not enough. You got to catch the whole thing. Okay, one of the things I love so much that we get to do as a church is see how far these sermons reach. Now, back in September, we were able to share a story with you about one of our family members in the DMV area. Now, I'm sure you remember this because all I heard was so many people said, man, we love Leon. That message was so good. That video is so good. And so today. Today, we wanted to bring Leon here to share a little bit of how messages have impacted him. So we don't have them in the room, but we've got them right here. So Leon, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of Elevation Church. We love that it's not buildings. We talk about that all the time. It's not buildings here at Elevation. It's people. And from where you are, you've been impacted by messages. So why don't you share with the church family a message that has meant a lot to you this year?
5: Thanks, Pastor Chad, for having me. Uh, There's so many messages, of course, that resonate with me. But there was one particular message that uh, Pastor Stephen preached back in April, I believe. And the name of the message was, The Facts Aren't Final. And one of the things that Pastor encouraged us in this message was that most of the time, or some of the time, the things that we struggle with in our faith actually have nothing to do with the enemy and have nothing to do with an attack, but it is some things that happen with our friends and some of those things are actually facts. And because they're facts, they scare us. But he encouraged us in this message that as long as we remain faithful and continue to believe God, that those things that we struggle with, that are facts, are not going to put a limitation on God. But if we continue to worship and we continue to believe that those things will begin to be a blessing in our lives. And I'm so grateful for that message. It impacted me because I was going through something at that time and it really spoke to my heart.
4: Well, uh, Leon, you're preaching it. You might as well keep going. (laughs) Okay, no, we're going to share it with you, though. The facts aren't final. Take a look.
1: It's kind of our junk drawer to say, I'm just under attack. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's not always an attack. No, it's not. It is sometimes. It's not always an attack. And it's not always the enemy. Because I know the devil is a liar. Even when I believe him, something in me kind of knows, called the Holy Spirit, this is not true. So the devil's lies are one thing, but look at the passage with me. In verse 35, it doesn't say that the devil told Jairus a bad report. It says that while Jesus was speaking, follow me, some people came from Jairus' own house, people who worked for him. And they told him, Your daughter is dead. And then they asked him, Why bother the teacher anymore? Notice what they call Jesus, the teacher because to them that's all he was. They didn't believe in him yet. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't risen yet. These were not believers in Jesus. These were members of the synagogue who were still making up their mind about Jesus. So, when they call him the teacher, they're not lying, but they are limiting. Because If all he is is a teacher, Then why are you still standing here listening to him with this crowd? You need to get home. Your daughter's dead, and you are needed for the funeral arrangements. Because in Jewish custom, there would be mourners that would come in two flutes and one. There would be at least four people if you were poor. Imagine how many people were filling Jairus' house at that moment to mourn the death of his daughter. And if all he is is a teacher, we're wasting time. So when they call him a teacher and they say, Your daughter's dead, notice this. They are not the enemy. These are his friends. And this is not a lie, but it is a limitation. Now, sometimes the devil will just outright lie to you. You can feel it when it comes on. You're worthless. You're a piece of crap. You suck. Bad word, bad word, bad word, bad word. That's the devil calling you stuff that you know God doesn't see you as that, right? And so then you just rebuke the devil. Ah, I rebuke you, devil. You're so crazy. You think I'm going to listen to this trash talk? You think I'm really just going to drive my car into another car right now? Feel so bad about myself, I'm going to end my life? Come on, devil. You're crazy. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of the Lord. The blood of Jesus against you, Satan. And all of these things you can do when it's the enemy and when it's an attack. But in this case, it's not the enemy and it's not an attack. It's his friends, and it's a fact. Some of the stuff that you're fighting with in your faith right now it's not a lie, and that's what makes it so scary. It's a fact. I can't just pray everything away by denial and close my eyes and wait for the rapture. The facts are the facts. But are you feeding more facts to your spirit than you are faith to your spirit?
6: I love that sermon so much, and if we're all really honest with ourselves, we can find a little bit of gyrus in each of us. And what I mean by that is maybe you've come through a situation or maybe you're currently in a situation where the facts are challenging your faith, okay? And that looks like different things, like we'll ask ourselves questions like, why am I here? How did I get here? God, do you even hear me or care about what I'm going through? But the one thing that I know can be fact-checked is that God is always bigger than our circumstances, okay? And here's the thing. This passage of Scripture comes from Mark chapter 5, and it is like the gift that keeps on giving because we got to hear not one, but two sermons from this passage of Scripture because just a few weeks later, Pastor Holly preached a sermon called Waiting on My Miracle where we got to revisit the story of Jairus. And this is such a great story of scripture that talks us through several different things, but just maybe you remember, but in case you don't. This is a story where Jairus meets Jesus and his daughter is sick. And he asked Jesus to heal his daughter, a thing that we would all maybe be looking for. What do you need healing in? Is this something that you're willing to come and ask Jesus for? But in route to go heal his daughter, This other really popular Bible story comes up that you maybe know about or have heard about, and this is the woman with the issue of blood. And in the midst of Jesus going to heal Jairus' daughter, well, he ends up healing this woman and stopping to address her, which is amazing, right? This is a good thing that's happening, but in the midst of this miracle happening, the miracle that Jairus was hoping for ends up not happening because his daughter dies. And here's the thing, we've all maybe, probably had a dream, a hope, something that we were wishing for, something that has died in our lives. And I wonder what we do in those moments. If you're anything like me, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I'm hoping I can be honest with you. I get mad, I get angry, I shut down, and I don't always handle these situations in the best way. But one thing that we learned in this Bible story, is the example that Jairus set. And this is what Holly preached about, is what should we do whenever we're waiting on a miracle? And Holly says it best whenever she says, if you stay close, if you stay close, you'll come out stronger on the other side. Holly preached about staying close to Jesus in the midst of, of waiting and then seeing what God can do through that because that's where He reveals Himself to us. That's where we grow in our faith is in those moments of waiting and walking close to Jesus. I feel like I've talked enough about it. I would love for us to be able to relive a little bit of this sermon. So let's take a look at this. One of the
0: greatest things that I'm learning about prayer is that I have to hold my list the things I want God to do, how I want Him to do it, when I want Him to do it, I hold my list with a light grip. Because sometimes God's gonna ask me to let go of my list, but hold firm to my faith. It may not happen the way you thought it would, but my faith is not in the list. My faith is in my God who I believe is working all things for my good. My faith is in the God who knows the number of hairs on my head. My faith is in my perfect Father who knows me better than I know myself. All I have to do is stay close to him, no matter how dark it gets, and remember that he is with me. You know that there is no darkness you can experience that Jesus has not already felt. Hebrews 4 tells us, look at this. I love this passage of scripture. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold Jesus experienced every grief and every temptation. He is the true friend, the true empathizer. Our heavenly Father, he actually went to all the schools. He went to betrayal school. He went to raise a child with special needs school. He went to loneliness school. and you can you can come to him Amen. i'm telling you now you can come to him with confidence and while we wait for him to give us an answer we find so much more we find grace and we find mercy in our time of need. It's in the waiting that we get to know him better. We find out that he's not just a God who heals, but he is a God who is with us in our pain and in our confusion and in our frustration and in our disappointment. And he stands by. He never left. He's with you. He stands by ready with the grace that you need for each moment. And when I think of the darkest seasons in my life, the seasons of my life when you wake up in the morning and for a brief second you forget everything that you're going through. Have you ever been there? And then all of a sudden the pain and the realization of what's going on and the fear sets in in those moments, what I remember most from those seasons is the tangible presence of God. If I didn't stay close to him, I wouldn't have gotten out of bed. If I didn't stay close to him, I wouldn't have made it through the day. I know I wouldn't have chosen those situations and those seasons, but I'm here to tell you today, if you stay close, you'll come out stronger on the other side.
7: One of the sermons that deeply impacted me this year was one that Pastor titled, My Future is My Focus. I honestly believe there may not be a better word for us as we start a new year than this one right here. Because of course, at the start of another calendar year, many of us see this time as an intersection of what we're choosing to leave behind in the previous season and what we're stepping into in this next one. So the passage Pastor preached from was Genesis 49 and 50, which is toward the end of Joseph's story. And at this point, the book of Genesis has covered 40 years of Joseph's faithfulness. Even though he was mistreated, thrown into a pit, even though he was put into prison, lied about, he didn't let that take his purpose. Pastor said, you gotta learn to interrupt what the enemy sent to destroy you and break it with a but God. But I was so inspired by Joseph's determination to not allow these things that could have kept him in bondage to keep him from his purpose. In Genesis 50, Joseph's father Jacob has just died and his brothers are scared that Joseph is gonna hold a grudge against them and pay him back for all the wrongs that they did to him. So they come to Joseph, who at this point in his life is really powerful and he's sitting in the court of Pharaoh because God's blessed him, but his brothers throw themselves at his feet, and they're scared about his response, and Joseph responds in a way that only someone who's chosen to stay focused on their purpose could. He says, don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, and I want my life to be marked by that same heavenly perspective. And so we just prophesy that same over you in this new year, that you'll focus on what matters, that your focus will be fixed on the truth that Christ is in you and that is enough. And when the enemy tries to attack you with shame or condemnation, you'll hit back with, but God who is rich in mercy has made me alive in Christ. When the same old hurt and bitterness tries to fight for all your attention, you remember Joseph's words. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for my good. In the clip we wanna show you now, Pastor Steven has just pulled a few of our campus pastors up with him on stage to help demonstrate what it takes to keep your focus. And I wanna show you that now.
1: Telling God you're worthless is an insult to the word that he spoke over you. And it is the opposite of worshiping God to tell him how worthless you are, because the focus is on you. So, watch this. Watch this. This is a chain, and what it becomes is terrible, but it becomes bitterness. And now you've got bondage. Walk with it for me in your own life something bad happens. Oh, that's horrible. I didn't get to finish because of them. They weren't there for me. I mean, if we just named everything that's in this room… Forget about all over the world. If we just named everything that's in this room… If we named everything bad that happened in this room, I wouldn't get to preach another sermon until 2064. All right, I wouldn't get to preach… If we spent the rest of this day… We would spill over into tomorrow, and then, yet, Joseph, after, after everything he's been through… Genesis 50-20, put it on the screen. You intended to harm me, and that's all he said about that. Now, that's freedom. Right. Oh, hold on. He wasn't in denial either, because he still wept. There was a process. He didn't say it the next day. He didn't say it in the pit. He didn't say it in the back of the caravan as he's being sold and chained. But at some point, his perspective became, but God. So, you break it with a but. Let me show you again. Y'all, I got the uh, I got the uh, remedial class, the summer school in here today. I'm gonna show you again. You intended to harm me. That was bad. Now I could blame you, I could be bitter about it, and I could spend the rest of my life. But God. Show you again. Show you again. Get back together. Let me show you again. Let me show you till you see yourself interrupting what the enemy sent to destroy you, and you can break it with a butt God. You can break it. So, so, so I'm looking now, now I'm looking. My future is my focus. So I'm looking for everything in my life that has me in bondage, and I'm looking to put a butt right here. To see what God is gonna do next. I need 30 of y'all. I need 30 people in a Hammond B3 to praise God. That the power to break it is in your praise, in your perspective, in your purpose. Get together. That's how you break a chain. That's how they left me. But God has somebody else for me. They hurt me, but God healed me. He's healing me right now. Somebody say it in the chat. But God. But God. I feel like preaching in this room today. Like God is freaking safe. I'm serious, y'all. You can break it with a butt. We were dead in our sin. But God. You meant it for evil, but God. The weapon was formed against me, but it didn't prosper because I'm still breathing, living, walking, talking, moving. But God, but God, but God, but God. God. I can break that thing. I can break that thing. You break it before it breaks you. You hear me? You break it before it breaks you.
0: New Year, same God. I hope that this encouraged you. I hope that today you're walking away with a sense of gratitude for what God has done in your life and a feeling of expectancy for what He's going to do in the year ahead. God came through last year, God spoke last year, and He's gonna come through again, and He's gonna speak again this year. If you missed any of the sermons that we talked about today and you were thinking that you would love to see the rest of it, good news. They're all up on our Elevation Church YouTube channel or also available on the Elevation Church podcast. The titles are all listed in the description below. I also hope that today you'll take a few minutes to reflect on the past year. Yes, it's important to set goals for the year ahead, but before you do that, take some time to look back at the faithfulness of God in your life in 2022. How did God provide for you? Who did God bring into your life? Who did he remove from your life? What did God speak to you this year? If you'll just start writing and reflecting on the presence of God in your life over the past year, I know that you're going to be overwhelmed with gratitude and excited about what's ahead, or maybe I should say excited about who is ahead with you. He was with you in 2022 and he'll be with you in 2023. And I have to say thank you to all of you who attend a location, who watch every week, who volunteer and who give faithfully to this ministry. Pastor Stephen and I count it a privilege that we get to do this every single week right alongside You Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. It is with gratitude that we look back and it is with excitement that we look ahead. We know that whatever we will face in 2023, we do not have to face it alone. You go before us, you come behind us, you're with us every step of the way. God, we surrender our year and our lives to you. And we ask that you not only be with us, but that you use us for your glory. Thank you for our pastor. May you continue to bless him and give him the words to speak to us each week. Thank you for this church. It means so much to us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also help us reach others by investing today at elevationchurch.org
3: give. And thanks again for joining us on the Elevation Podcast.